You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Folks, let me uh, ask you to do this. Take your Bibles and open them, if you would, to Philippians, I'm sorry, to Philemon, uh, chapter one. It's only one chapter. And uh, let me do a little bit of housekeeping while you are doing this. When you were here, when you came in early, you saw um, the Wait No More conference that's going to be here on August the 20th. Uh, We're asking you to sign up for that, to be a part of that. Uh, This is our response. This is part of our response to the whole issue of the Roe v. Wade. What can we do to assist uh, young women? What can we do to assist children and to help with children? You know, there's a ministry that is, they're using us kind of as a a type of guinea pig, I think. Um, Right now, we are taking, you know, at 18, they will age out of foster care. And we've got several of our people. We've had all of the girls, 18-year-old girls, that's, that, are, that will be aging out of foster care. We've had them here in the church. And we've done things with them, you know, played games and all. But sharing with them, uh, teaching them, how do I transition? What, what is this going to mean? Those kind of, giving them some life principles as well as spiritual principles. And we've had the guys in. And we've put them in these gyms and they've played and they've done things. But teaching them some life skill principles as well. We've got a number of things we're offering that we're doing to try to help uh, children, kids, uh, young, young couples, young ladies that uh, are unwed mothers. So be a part of all of that. Now, here's the second thing I need to do. I need to talk. Do this. I know every one of you has got a telephone. I, I walk around and see some eight-year-olds. Mom and Daddy bought them a telephone. So put your, get your phone out. I know you got them. Just get your phone out. And let me, let me just show you something right here. Um, if you, you, surely you have downloaded, look, the Valleydale app right there. You download the Valleydale app. It'll come up refresh. Just hit refresh, and it'll do a check. We refreshed. And then look, the second line down, this live stream, some of y'all, I know some of y'all are watching me on live stream right now because y'all keep looking at your telephones, <laughs> right? You know, you're texting your mama. You're looking up the brave scores, what you're looking up. Look, you come over here. The second one is this. It's uh, the news of the week right here. All the news that is the news here at Valleydale right here on that app. Fall, fall midweek, what's going to happen? You can sign up right there. You know, get your kids in Awana, do all of that. Here's uh, the book club. You can sign, be a part of the book club. There's a commercial for the daily word, get in the word, the little devotional book. Here are all these things. You just come down through all of this and you get down here. There's missions. I want to know what's going on in mission. There's a whole missions newsletter right there. Uh, everything that goes on. Now, listen, you can have this dropped to your email box, just like the insurance company does, just like the tire company does, just like, you know, your hospital bills. Your, I even, you can even get on, you know, you even get your diagnosis out of it. You can get on your doctor's web page and he'll give you your diagnosis, whatever's going on with you, all of that. Well, this is the same thing. It comes to your house, comes in your email. But now the thing we can't do is be there and click on it and read it to you. You're going to have to, because if you want to know what we're doing, we're trying to get this to you in about three or four different ways. Now, for those of you that say none of that is good enough, we want it in print. Da-da. In print. Five pages, front and back. Here it is, right here. Front and back, five pages. It's right out there on the short counter next to the steps. And there's a sign-up sheet right next to it. So when you come across something and all the news that is the news at Valleydale right here for you, you know, and you say, well, I don't know. I've got time to read it. Take your wife to DSW, sit down on one of those little stools and read this. And you'll know every week. Just do it once a week. 
make her happy, then you'll know everything that's going on at Valleydale Church right there. Now, folks, we spend a lot, lot, lot of time planning. This past Monday, we sent all the staff in different directions just to get by yourself. Take your calendar, take your Bible, get by yourself, and for this day, you spend the next eight hours in looking at, praying over what you're going to do this coming year. And they're to bring every bit of what they did this past Monday. In about two weeks, we're going to do a small little retreat off campus. We're not going off anywhere, uh, but we're going out to a place. And um, we're going to get there where no telephones, no anything, nothing, so we can plan. Now, we do all this planning, go through all this time and expense and effort to plan. We don't then try to hide it from you. We want you to know. And we tell you every way we can. And the only other thing is I can give up my preaching time and come read you announcements every Sunday. Now, that will, it will guarantee you will bust hell wide open. It won't get anybody saved. I can promise you that. So I'm just encouraging you, download the app. You say, well, I don't know technology. I don't either. But I at least got that app on my phone. Or bring it to one of us, and we'll get it on your phone, and you can keep up with everything that's going on. Or if you want the printed copy, it's out there. It's yours. You can pick it up. Now, none of that edified anybody, did it? And our minds are all scattered. You're saying, why are you doing this? Because I have had this week so many people say, We're, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. Well, we want you to know what's going on. So those are the ways that you can get a hold of it. Now, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to pray now so we can regather our thoughts. So just bow your heads with me. Just spend a moment right there, just in quietness. Father, reclaim our thoughts after worship, after our singing. Reclaim our thoughts. Draw our minds back to you. Give us, Father, a few moments of just clarity, free from anything that would distract us so that we might worship you as we've worshiped you with our voice, that we might now worship you with our mind and with our heart and with our soul. Let us hear from you. Holy Spirit, I pray you just settle over us. Settle us and then settle over us. As we turn to your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I'm certain you've heard the name Simon Wiesenthal, and you probably wonder, I have heard of it, but where did I hear it? He was a very young German Jew who was an architect, a successful architect, uh, about the time Adolf Hitler in the late 30s was rounding up all of the Jews and sending them into camps. Um, he was sent into a camp like all the other Jews had. The reason you probably know his name is that he survived. He survived, was liberated by the Allied forces, came out of that, and dedicated his life to hunting down Nazis around the world. Now, I don't know if you saw, but just two weeks ago, they showed a picture of a man who had been a guard at one of the concentration camps, now in his 90s, and they brought him out in a wheelchair uh, had arrested him, found him, arrested him, and uh, he will be put on trial. If he lives long enough, he'll be put on trial and incarcerated for his part of what happened during the Holocaust. Well, that's where you've heard the name Simon Wiesenthal. Uh, he became what was, no, he was the Nazi hunter. And he gave his life to tracking down these Nazis and bringing them to justice. Well, while he was in the concentration camp during World War II, he was assigned to work in a hospital where they would bring German soldiers who had been wounded in battle. And uh, one day he was there in the hospital and a nurse, a German nurse came by and ordered him to follow her. So he followed her down to a room and in the room was a German soldier, a young German soldier who had his head practically all wrapped up in gauze. And he was ordered, the nurse ordered him, sit down there in that chair. And so he sat down. Now, the German in the bed dying was a German, young German SS officer by the name of Carl. And uh, Carl, when, 
when uh, Simon Weisenthal sat down, Carl reached over with all of the strength that he had and he grabbed on to the hand of Simon Weisenthal and he said this. He says, I have been looking for a Jew to confess to before I die. And then he began to tell his story. He began to confess. He told Simon, he said, I was on the Russian front. He was on the eastern front, the, the Russian front, which was horrible, um, far more horrible than anything that the Allies knew on the western front. But he said, I was there fighting the Russians. And he said, we took a village, and in this village, we rounded up 200 Jews. And he said, the officers were talking about what do we do with these Jews? And they said, cram them in that house. There was a little house there. He said, pack them in. He said, we had to pack them in this tiny little house. 200 of them, we just packed in. They were shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. And he said, then they took gasoline cans like you would see on tanks or on the back of Jeeps. And he said, we surrounded the house with gasoline cans. And then a German took a grenade and lobbed it over into the window of the house. And the whole thing just exploded. It just went up into flames. And Carl and the other SS officers had been instructed, if anyone comes out of a window, if anyone comes out of a door, you shoot them, you kill them. Carl said, I'll never forget it. He said, I looked up into the window on the second story and there was a young father holding a, a little boy. And he said, the father's clothes were on fire. And he said, the father walked over to the window and covered the eyes of the little boy and he jumped out falling to where the little boy would not be hurt. And he said, right behind him came his wife. And he said, as immediately as they hit the ground, we opened up fire and we shot them. We killed them. And then there was this groan, this moan, this cry. And Carl said, oh God, I shall never forget it. It haunts me. I know what I've told you is terrible. I have longed to talk to a Jew and beg forgiveness for him. I know what I am asking is almost too much, but without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Simon Weisenthal said that he stood up. And he said he looked back at that German SS officer and his hands were folded as if he were begging and praying. And Weisenthal said, I simply looked at him and I turned and I walked out and never said a word. Now, Weisenthal died just a few years ago. But Weisenthal said, I've often thought about that. He said, that moment haunts me. He said, did I do the right thing by not forgiving him? Or should I have forgiven him of the horrors of uh, what he did and what the others did? Or should I just go on with my life and forget him? He said, I've struggled with that for years. Let me tell you something. All of us struggle with the issue of unforgiveness. No matter who we are, all of us have been unforgiving at one moment or another. Many of us right now are thinking of somebody who needs our forgiveness, and yet we have withheld forgiveness from them. Usually, listen to me, usually they are people who are very close to us. We take unforgiveness... And we will often hold unforgiveness like a newborn baby at a mother's breast and we will nurse it and we will keep it warm and we will hold it close and at times we will even begin to fall in love with the unforgiveness in our lives. We come to see it as righteousness. Now this is the interesting thing about sin. It will flip upside down, which is exactly the world we live in right now. In our culture, in America, right now, everything has been flipped upside down. And we will take what is sin, unforgiveness, and we will see it as the righteousness of God. We will say, you know what, I cannot forgive him. I cannot forgive her. If I do that, I just let them off. They get off scot-free. They, they don't pay for anything. 
they'll just never learn anything out of this. Uh, They'll get off and and, uh, they'll never be taught a lesson out of this. And so I cannot forgive uh, them for what they did to me, for the hurt that they caused me, or for what they did to someone I love because I'm holding them accountable to God. It's an act of righteousness on my part. And we'll take unforgiveness, which is sin, and we will flip it up to say, oh, no, 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 we're doing the work of God by not forgiving somebody. We're trying to hold them accountable. We're trying to hold them responsible for their actions and for the things that they've done. And I can do that by being unforgiving. Now, listen, there are religions that tell you that forgiveness doesn't mean anything doesn't have anything to do with anything. You don't need to worry about forgiveness. That's why in any religion you go to, it is all about your works and not about the works of the God that they worship. Our God is the only God who paid the penalty for us. Our God is the only God who comes to us and says, you cannot save yourself. You must trust in me. And in trusting in me, you find complete forgiveness. Uh, There are religions that will teach you that is not necessary. There are philosophies, ancient philosophies, 19th century philosophies, modern philosophies that will tell you that forgiveness is nothing but despicable weakness. And many of us will not deal with it. We don't think about it. We don't talk about it. It's been amazing to me how many sermons I could not find on the forgiveness of one Christian to another Christian, although we love to hear sermons on the forgiveness of God that's unconditional for me. I am unconditionally forgiven. Love that. Preach that. But don't talk to me about forgiving somebody who has hurt me. It's painful. It's painful because we know that we need forgiveness, and yet we do not have it, and we know that we should give forgiveness, and we do not give it. Now, back over in the right corner of your New Testament toward the back is a little book called Philemon. It's a personal letter, the third shortest book in the Bible. It's a personal letter to a man whose name is, of all things, Philemon. You go to 1 Timothy, then 2 Timothy, then Titus, and then you're at Philemon. It's right there before the book of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews. It is a fascinating little book. We're going to look at it for these next number of Sundays, and then we're going to head into the Old Testament to begin to look at the journey of Moses. Everybody's on a journey. It just is a question as to where you're going. So we'll look at that in the weeks to come. But for the next several Sundays, we're going to deal with a subject that is not easy to deal with, and it's forgiveness. We all struggle with it. It's hard for us. It's interesting that Paul writes these two epistles together, I think. Uh, Kirkwood just read from Colossians chapter 3, and I am coming to preach out of Philemon. Do you know when you go to buy a commentary on Colossians, say you're going to teach a class on Colossians, and you go to the, you, you, you get online, you go to, you know, Christian book distributors or Lifeway or wherever you go to look for your commentaries and you get on there and you call up Colossians, it always is Colossians and Philemon. Rarely will you find just a commentary on Philemon. It's always Colossians and Philemon. And you ask the question, what do these two have in common? Well, I tell you what I believe. I think they were written at the exact same time. Paul was in prison, his first Roman imprisonment in Rome And he writes what are three major prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But he writes a fourth. And the fourth is the little letter of Philemon. In fact, I think as Paul was sitting there under inspiration, writing the little epistle to Colossians, that when he was finished with Colossians, he rolled it up, he handed it to Tychius, and he said, hang on, I've got one other thing to give you. He pulls out a new piece of parchment and there dips that quill in the ink and begins to write a personal letter to Philemon. Now, if you'll look in Philemon, the only chapter, verse 2, you'll see this, to the church in your house. That's a singular. Your house is singular. He's writing to Philemon and he says the church at Colossae is in the house 
of Philemon. That's where the church meets. That's where the church gathers. And so the letter to Colossians, to the church in Colossae, is going to be read in the home of Philemon because that's where the church met. The interesting thing is this. Paul never went to the city of Colossae. And you say, well, what in the world happened there? Well, what happened was this, is that Philemon, obviously a rich man, because he has a home large enough. If I had a house large enough for this group right here, you know, you, you've, got a, you've got a church that meets in your house. Well, you've got a pretty good-sized home. Um, he obviously was wealthy, obviously was a businessman uh, that made uh, a success of it, and he had a large home, and the church met there. Well, where did Philemon, who was a Gentile pagan, where does he hear about this? Where does he hear about the gospel? He obviously goes to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is not that far. Those of you that went to Greece with us, you remember walking through that massive city, unbelievable ruins in Ephesus. Well, not far to the south and to the east is the, the city of Colossae. And uh, Paul is in Ephesus. You remember in the afternoons, if you read the book of Acts, in the afternoons he taught in the school of Tyrannus. And as he taught in the school of Tyrannus, he would preach, he would teach, he would evangelize, he would disciple, he would do all of that. And he did it for the space of about three years. And so here is Philemon who comes out of Colossae, this businessman, and he goes up to the city of Ephesus and he hears about this guy, Paul. Maybe he's heard about him several different times. Maybe people are talking about him. Uh, maybe people are talking about what he preached or what he said. And so maybe he stops off on one of his trips to the city of Ephesus and he hears Paul. He can hear him teaching. And so he goes into the hall there of Tyrannus and he listens to Paul as he preaches and as he teaches and as he shares and something happens in his heart and he comes to the place where he understands that God loves him but that he's a sinner and his sin has separated him from God. And there's nothing that he can do to get to God, but God so loved him that God sent his only son to a cross to die for the penalty of his sin. And he's never heard anything like this before. It's amazing to him. It's a wonder to him. He knows deep on the inside, things are just wrong in my life, but I never knew what it was. It's that I'm a sinner. And I've never heard that there's a God who loves me. And I had no idea that God loved me enough that he sent his son to come and die for my sin. Maybe you're here this morning and that's news to you. Maybe you're here this morning and God's spirit is speaking to your heart. And what God is saying to you is this, I do love you. And there's a, there's a choice that you must make. And that choice is you must give your life to me. Through my son, Jesus Christ, who died for your sins. And when you come to Calvary, to Jesus Christ, you will not only find a Savior, you will find a God's forgiveness through that Savior. Well, Philemon had never heard that before. You've heard it over and over and over again to the point to where we just get calloused to it. It no longer really moves us. But it moved him because he'd never heard the gospel before. And so he comes to Christ and Paul begins to disciple him and he goes back to his home and there in his home, he goes around the city and he shares what has happened to him and people begin to come to Christ and they meet in his home and here is Philemon who goes off to hear Paul preach and he comes back and he tells him exactly what Paul has said. He goes and he listens because he didn't know. He didn't go to seminary and he's never been in Sunday school and he's never been in church before. So he goes and he listens to what Paul says and he comes back and he says exactly what Paul says to that congregation that meets in his home. And what Philemon found was this. Philemon found that Calvary changes our lives and relationships. Now, I just want to show you the first three verses of this little epistle. So take your Bibles and look with me. If you get there to verse 1, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, just stop with that. 
Because if you look back, just look back one page. It's just one page in my Bible to Titus chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If I look on back to the next little book is 2 Timothy. It says, Paul, an apostle, 2 Timothy 1, 1, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. If I look on back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of God our Savior. Now, in these three, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, what are called the, the pastoral epistles, he introduces himself from the standpoint of authority. I am an apostle. What if I, now, that's the way they would begin letters. It was normal. You didn't sign a letter at the end. You signed it at the beginning. And listen, what if I got up here on a Sunday morning and said, Mac Brunson, a preacher, by the grace of God, through the direct call of Jesus Christ. You'd think, well, you little arrogant thing, you, you little nimrod. You know, who do you think you are? Well, it, it's a sign of stating authority. That's what Paul is doing with Timothy. That's what he's doing with Titus. He is saying, I have the authority here. I am an apostle. But when he comes to Philemon, what does he say? Desmas. I am a desmos. Paul, a desmos of Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean, it's translated prisoner, but it literally means in chains. I am in the chains that Jesus Christ put on me. He's hidden in a Roman prison. Philippians chapter 1, he says, I am chained to this praetorian guard. I've got a, I'm chained, this arm is chained to this guy's arm. He's a praetorian. This arm is chained to this guy. He's a praetorian. I've got chains on my legs. He says, but these are not the chains of Rome. These are the chains of Jesus Christ. He essentially says, I am a slave in chains. Now, hold on to that. Because that's going to figure significantly. Now, let me tell you something. This book is not about social justice, although there's a little bit of it there. This is not going to answer the issue of slavery. I've got to tell you this. You've got to get out of your 21st century Western um, mind that's been liberal arts trained, and you've got to realize you are back 2,000 years ago, first Christian century, in an empire that overtook nations and enslaved people, where one out of every three people were slaves. Just think about that. One, two, three. One of y'all, three, would be slaves in the Roman period. 60 million people. They never thought about the Roman Empire being over. They never thought about the Roman Empire changing. They never thought about going down and standing in front of the, the imperial palace in Rome with, with a placard and walking up and down and saying, we're against this. They'd just kill them. They wouldn't ask anybody about it. They would just kill them. So you can't think that way. You're going to have to think differently now. So while there's a word here about social justice, listen, that's not what this is about. While there's a word here about love, that's not what this is about. While there's a word here about home and family and church, that's not what it's about. This entire book is about forgiveness. The whole issue and the, and the difficult work of forgiveness. I'm going to give you two things quickly. Number one, I want you to see this. I want you to see that forgiveness changes our relationship in our families, familially. In our families, forgiveness does something. Now, watch as I continue to read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother. He's, he's stating something there. I'll come back to that in the next point. He says, you're our brother and a fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister. Now, we believe that Aphia was his wife. And to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, the expression fellow soldier usually went to somebody who was also a minister of the gospel. Archippus may have been, but we believe that Archippus is the son of Philemon and Aphia. So, what you've got is you've got this little family. You've got Philemon, Aphia, 
and their son. We don't know how old the boy is. We don't know if he's a young teenager or he's a teenager in his later teens or if he's a young man in his early 20s. We're not told any of that. But you've got a family. And in that little family, you've got to stop and think, where is that family in their culture? They're in Colossae. Well, what do they worship in Colossae? Isis, Seraphis. Um, they worship Demeter and Artemis, who if you remember, uh, Artemis is Diana. That's the other name for her, Artemis of the Ephesians, Diana of the Ephesians. Four goddesses they worship. Four female goddesses that they worship. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of insight into what their worship was like. Demeter. The female goddess Demeter. Now, I know a little bit about this because I studied it before we got to uh, Pergamum, I believe. Because in Pergamum, this is where uh, Demeter was one of the main gods or goddesses of that area. You read about Pergamum in the seven churches of Revelation. And uh, there, this is what happened. Now, it is, I am going to give you, beyond the cliff note edition, I've got to keep it as clean as I possibly can. But what would happen is this, is when you would go to worship in Colossae, especially the goddess of Demeter, uh, the women would go and would eat as much as they could eat to the point of being sick, and the men would do the same, and then the women would get drunk, and when they were sufficiently drunk, they would run out through the woods, and then all the men would say, let's go get them. That's as far as I'm going. Anybody here with any? Y'all all locked in on this now, aren't you? I, man, I'm looking at y'all, y'all just like this. What, what's, you know what's going to happen. That's how, that's how they worship their God, Demeter. That's how they worship the goddess Demeter. Now, let me tell you, I've given you such a wholesome addition <laughs> uh, uh, of that that I can tell you that the, Ro the immoral Romans found this type of worship so degrading and disgusting and nasty that the Romans declared it to be against the law. Now, that's how bad it was. When a Roman would come and tell you, you're too immoral for us, you were too immoral. Way too immoral. That's the way this... Can you imagine building a marriage in a culture like that where you wanted to do the right thing? We want to go and we want to worship our God. We want to go and be together in the worship of our God. And yet the worship of our God demands that we be unfaithful to one another. That in order to worship our God... And then beyond that, can you imagine raising a 13-year-old, 14-year-old boy in that? Uh, the loss of control of a teenager. Can you imagine what that would be like? Let me tell you something, folks. We're not there, but we are working hard at it in this culture. We're moving there as hard as we can move it there. And the marriages suffered, and the homes suffered, and the young lives of children and young people suffered because of that. There was bitterness in the home. There was guilt, and they did not know what they were guilty about because they were doing what their God told them to do. And here is Philemon who goes, and he hears the gospel. He hears about a God who has given laws about being faithful, laws about being sexually pure, laws about uh, loving your mate and being faithful to your mate. And he hears about the fact that to do otherwise is sin, and it brings guilt, and it brings hardship, and it destroys relationships. And he listens because he feels like that's where we are. And he hears about a God who loved him to send his own son to die on a cross and that the blood of his son now can take away your sin. And he thinks this is what I need in my own life. 
And so he embraces it and he gets home and he calls his wife in and he sits her down and he says, I married you because I loved you. I married you because I care for you. And uh, I have always felt guilty about these things that have been a part of our relationship that never should. And I've heard about a God who calls us to a faithful fidelity to one another and a true love and a real cleanness and a purity and a holiness that I've never heard anything about and I want that for my life and I want that for you and I want it for our marriage and oh how I want it for our son. And Aphia gives her life to Christ and there in that home unforgiveness unfurls itself and he forgives her and she forgives him and the boy forgives his parents, and the parents forgive the boy, and they all live now inside the blessed peace of the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. Unforgiveness will kill your marriage, unforgiveness will kill your relationships. And let me let you in on something I've already shared with you. The people we find the hardest to forgive are those that are closest to us. We harbor something down on the inside. We are guilty about something we have done. There are issues that that we cannot get along on because there is no harmony between us, no peace between us, because there is a spirit of unforgiveness that is there in the marriage, in the home, in the family. James Garfield was president just four months in 1881. July the 2nd, 1881, he was shot in the back. He was shot in the back. It didn't kill him. Doctor there took his finger and felt into the bullet hole to see if he could locate the bullet, but he couldn't find it. They did the same thing to Lincoln. They brought in all of these doctors, and every doctor got in there, and they would run their finger back up into that bullet hole in Lincoln's head. Well, they did the same thing to Garfield. Now, the bullet didn't kill him. He lived all through July. He lived all through August got into September, and they would parade all of these doctors through the White House going back to Garfield, and they would go in there, and every one of them would take their finger and reach up in that, that bullet hole. They would reopen the wound, and they would search for the, for the bullet somewhere, but none of them ever found the bullet, but he died in September of 1881. He didn't die from the bullet. He didn't die from the loss of blood. He died from the infection that came from the fingers of the doctors that kept probing that wound of his. That's unforgiveness. No wound can ever heal when you constantly pick at it. When you constantly remind, when you constantly go back, when you play it over and over in your own mind and in the home and with the family, you can never forgive somebody as long as you constantly open the wound up. And as you do it, you stick the infection in it a little deeper every time until it just leaves you dead on the inside. That's unforgiveness. Thank God Philemon found forgiveness and was able to forgive his wife. She was able to forgive him. And Archippus, that boy, was brought into that realm of forgiveness. Happy is the home where forgiveness reigns. Let me give you the second thing. And the second thing is this, is forgiveness changes relationships in the church ecclesiastically not just familially in the family but ecclesiastically in the church forgiveness calvary teaches us that there is forgiveness and forgiveness changes how we relate to one another now go back 
And look at these few little verses right here. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved brother, he's a brother in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. He said, well, I don't even know you. It doesn't make any difference. If Christ lives in your heart, he lives in my heart. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. We will spend eternity together. And Paul comes and he calls him brother. He says, this is who you are, Athea, our sister, our Chippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. That's singular. It's in your house, Philemon. But now watch this. Grace to you, that's plural. That's to the whole church. Listen, I, I'm not so sure. I almost wonder with this, and I, I don't know. I, I almost wonder if Paul did not put the little epistle to Colossians in the hand of Tychius, and he said, you take this and you read it in the church there in the house of Philemon when you get to Colossae. But here also is this epistle, this little letter to Philemon. I wonder if he gave it to Onesimus. And he said, Onesimus, you take it and you give it to Philemon to be read in the church there in his house. And you say, who is Onesimus? Onesimus was the slave of Philemon. He enters the picture now. Onesimus was a slave. Philemon was wealthy. He would have had slaves. That would have not been unusual at all. And uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave. He was a runaway slave, and not only did he run away, but he took something with him. Because Paul's going to make reference to that. I, I, we'll get to it over the next three weeks, but I'll show you that. He makes reference to it. Uh, Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, took something and left. Now, if you're trying to get away from somebody finding you, where, where, where are you going to go? Vestavia? No. You're going to go to New York City. You're going to mingle in with about 8 million people. 8 million people. You're going to get up there where all of these people are, and you're going to blend into the crowd. Well, that's what slaves did in Paul's day. They would run away, and they would get to the city of Rome. Onesimus, who steals something, probably money, from Philemon, leaves. He gets to Rome, and he hears this name, Paul of Tarsus. Paul of Tarsus is in prison here, and he remembers back. He's heard Philemon talk about Paul. He's heard Philemon share about Paul and who Paul was, and he decides, I need to go see this guy. I'm struggling. I, I'm, I'm really in a dither. I, I, I'm always afraid somebody's going to find me, and if I'm sent back, they're going to kill me. And so Onesimus obviously hears something about Paul, and so he goes to Paul, and Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord. Look at verse 10. You see verse 10? Verse 10, you see where Onesimus came to Christ through Paul. Paul shared with him. Onesimus comes to Christ, and now Paul is going to send Onesimus back to his master. And he's got this personal letter. And listen to what this personal letter, if you're looking there, look at verse 6 for just a moment. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith, speaking to Philemon, because now all of these verbs here are singular. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. And you say, well, now what in the world is he saying? He's saying this, Philemon. And this is read in front of the entire church, by the way. And what he's telling him here is this, is Philemon, I'm sending back Onesimus. He is not your slave anymore. He's your brother in Jesus Christ. What you gonna do now? What you gonna do? What you gonna do when Jesus comes for you? Huh? What you gonna do? This is in front of the church. And you say, well, that's just so tacky to do. Listen, let me tell you something. Do you realize things get circulated around a church faster than they do at the CIA? In a Baptist church? You know that? There, there are no secrets. You, you think you've got a secret. No, you're in a Baptist church. You ain't a secret. Everybody walks around the corner and they whisper about it. 
Everybody knew that Onesimus was the slave of Philemon. Everybody knew that he had stole something. Everybody knew that he had run away and was gone. And now they see Onesimus come back and they hear this letter that Paul writes and they wonder, what is Philemon going to do now? It is a picture of how leadership in the church is to be forgiving. Why? Because you're to be forgiving. You're to be forgiving. You cannot hold and harbor an ill feeling toward a brother in this place. It's wrong. It's sin. I'm up here flat-footed telling you, whether you like it or not, it's sin. Whether it's your wife, whether it's your husband, whether it's a deacon, whether it's a staff member, let me let you in on something. It is sin for us to be unforgiving. It will kill relationships in the church. But close your Bible. My time's gone. Close your Bible at this point. And let me just tell you what it does to us. It puts you in prison. It puts you in prison. I've got about five things over here that I was going to share with you that, uh, that unforgiveness in a church will do. It will imprison you. It keeps wounds open. It produces bitterness. It gives Satan an open door of opportunity, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Unforgiveness bars the door through which we must pass. If you're going to have a relationship with the Father, let, let me tell you something, Christians. If you are angry and bitter and you're unforgiving toward a brother or sister, you cannot have a relationship with the Father. You cannot. Jesus even says that. It's impossible. It imprisons you. Unforgiveness imprisons you. 1343, the Duke of Gawfield was killed in battle. Now, that area was what we know as Belgium today in the lowlands of Germany. And he had two boys. One was named uh, Ronald. We would generally say Reginald. Ronald. And the other was named Edward. And uh, the two boys fought over who was going to become the third duke of Gawfield. And... Um, they even went to battle. They had armies. They went to battle. And the younger, Edward, defeated Gawfield on the field of battle uh, and could have killed his brother but would not kill him. He captured him, but he would not kill him because he knew that it would uh, anger everybody in the kingdom. He, you've defeated him. You didn't need to kill him. So he let him live. But he took him and he put him in a prison. He had a room built in the castle there. And that that room had bars, but the bars were wide enough for a person to walk through. And the door was there, but the door was unlocked because it was a little smaller than the normal size door, but it was a door that a person could walk through except for Renald. You see, his name was this, Renald the Fat. That's how he's known in history. He was a big boy. Like those big boys that come out of Georgia. He was a big boy. Big country boy. And he couldn't fit through a normal door. And he couldn't go through the gates. And so his brother imprisoned him in this cell in the castle. And people would come and they would chide him and say, why are you imprisoning your brother? And he says, listen, he's free to walk out anytime. The door's not locked. He can walk through the bars. But every day, Edward would send pies and cake to the sale and fried chicken and fried pork chop and black-eyed peas and rice and, and cornbread with butter. Let's go home. <laughs> and he fed him and he fed him and he fed him and Ronald ate and he ate and he ate and he stayed imprisoned for 10 years. That's unforgiveness. There's some of you that can walk out of the prison today if you would shed the appetite you have for unforgiveness. Many of you here today could be set free and could live life free from the harboring of ill feelings and bitterness and revenge if you'll just put down the fork 
of unforgiveness. Let's stand. The great news of the gospel is this. I've already shared the gospel with you. How God loves you and how he loves you enough that he sent his only begotten son to die for your sin. And that in this moment, the word of God says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us all, all our unrighteousness. But some of us are locked into a prison of unforgiveness. We're hurt. And we think it's not fair. Oh, I call you to come to Jesus. I call you to come to Jesus and begin to think of your sin in your life and what a holy God has had to forgive you of. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I invite you to this altar. Come and give your life to Christ. Find the forgiveness that is the sweetest gift of grace and mercy you can ever find. But for so many of us that are here this morning, I'm just going to call you to the altar. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. Maybe there's a couple in this church this morning needs to come to this altar. Maybe there's a family. Maybe there's a son and a father. Maybe there's a mother and a daughter. Maybe there's sisters and brothers. Maybe there's somebody on one side of the auditorium that needs to come with someone on the other side of the auditorium. But you need to come to the altar today. And thank God that he's opened your eyes and that he can open the cell of unforgiveness and you can walk out free. Oh, Father, it's in these moments. I pray your word will work in our hearts. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Would you come? You slip out right now. You come. This is the moment. This is the time. This is the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.